Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com. So it's Grad Sunday, and uh, with it being Grad Sunday, we started our service. In case you missed it, we started the service with uh, faces and names of all of our graduates, but in particular, uh, there were a whole bunch of high school graduates that went up on the screen, and uh, that means that there were also parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles who were in here for um, maybe the first of, or certainly one of the moments that's kind of squished into these uh, two weeks as graduation is looming, uh, and that is it, whether it's an awards thing or whether it's a moment like this where your, your kids' names are are mentioned as graduates or it comes to the grad party that you're planning or it comes to graduation day and and all that happens with all of that. Um, There is uh, this sense during these two weeks where you start seeing these pictures, you start seeing these names and you you just wonder, man, where did the time go, you know? And and the weird thing is, it's the weird thing about time, I don't mean that to sound as depressing as it just did, but um, the weird thing about time when it comes to our kids graduating is that there were seasons when it felt like we were stuck, okay? It felt like there were these moments that we just couldn't get past and every day just led to the next day and they were all just the same and, and we were kind of stuck and then all of a sudden it's graduation day and, and we wonder where the time went. And I heard a, a mom say that the days are long but the years are short. The days are long but the years are short so don't miss the good stuff. That's pretty good advice. Uh, we are in this series that's called Family Matters, and I, I mentioned that um, last week that I wanted to kind of dust the cobwebs off of a, uh, the content from a sermon that I heard 30 years ago. I heard this sermon before I was married. I heard the sermon before I had kids. Um, and I honestly, it was a sermon that I don't know that I was planning on listening to and, and, and filing away, but for some reason, the words and the content of this message stuck in my head, um, and I, I, yet I don't really know who to give credit to. Okay? The, the person who preached the sermon uh, was Ross Pepper, and Ross was the preacher at the church in Kissimmee where I was serving as youth minister, and he's the one who preached the sermon that has stuck with me. However, I've also learned that um, Ross always listened and got most of the content of his messages by listening to a tape ministry, that's right, a tape ministry, uh, back in the day that he got from Bob Russell up in Louisville. So he was constantly listening to Bob Russell's sermons, so the content could have come from Bob, and yet the content that we're going to talk about, I have seen in multiple books, uh, both that were published after I heard that sermon and even before that sermon was preached uh, to me, and and yet, at the same time, even in a book that I read just last month, I came across the same content. And so I'm not sure who said it first, but I hope that it's stuff that is helpful for you as it was helpful for me. And simply put, we're going to build on the goal that we set out last week, that parenting is really about us raising kids who enjoy being with us and enjoy being with each other even when they no longer have to, okay? Kids who enjoy being with you, kids who enjoy being with each other, even when they no longer uh, are forced to be. That's the goal, that's the long-term relationship, and that long-term relationship doesn't look the same all the way through, okay? There are different stages to the lives of your kids as they're growing up, we know that, right? But it also means 
that there are different stages of parenting uh, for you to have as a parent. And, and if you are uh, someone in the room who has kids, it means that you are in one of these stages right now. And it could be that all of them are sitting in front of you. Or it could be that you've passed most of them. But regardless, we are all in one of the stages that we're going to get to. And there are different psychology books and different parenting books that you can read through. And they've got really fancy names attached to some of these different uh, stages for our kids. But I'm not a fancy person, and so we don't have fancy names. Um, we just are going to call them by what they are. And, and so the, the first stage that we're going to dive into, it, it happens during the discipline years. Okay, so the discipline years is basically from the time your kids are born until they're five years old. And that's not exact, but probably somewhere in there. And, and these discipline years are not called that because there's no discipline that happens after these years. Okay, it's not like your kids turn five and you don't have to discipline them anymore. But they're called the discipline years because that's all you've got. Okay? The only arrow you have in your quiver is discipline at that particular point because cognitively, your kids can't figure it out and your kids don't really know anything. It is amazing to me to watch a parent try and reason with a two-year-old. It is not going anywhere, I promise. There is no way that that two-year-old is picking up on the reasoning that you are laying down. And, and so the only option that you have is discipline. It's why these are called the discipline years. And this is the stage where you teach your child that there are consequences, good and bad, to their actions. And there are certainly times that you cheer for them. And there are certainly times that you applaud them for when they do the right thing and when they do the good thing. Okay, that's positive reinforcement. That's part of this. But there is also an understanding that you just sometimes have to stop your kids from doing bad things, or wrong things, or hurtful things, or harmful things. It's the reaction that we have as a parent when we see our toddler that's getting ready to reach for the, the red hot coil of the stove that's up there, and, and they reach because it looks pretty, and so they want to grab it, and you yell from across the room, no, and you walk up and you smack their hand and say, don't do that anymore. That's what I've heard people do, okay? Um, but you do that because you want to reinforce that that's the wrong thing. And so, the Bible hits this idea really strongly. It shows up in Proverbs chapter 13, and you've probably heard a phrase that's been credited to the Bible that, that people say is in the Bible, but it's not really in the Bible. Um, we've heard the phrase, uh, spare the rod, spoil the child, and people will say that's in the Bible. Kind of. Here's what the Bible says, Proverbs chapter 13. Whoever spares the rod hates their children. That's different, okay? Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. And so, without getting too deep into the whole spanking debate, we're not gonna go there, uh, let me just kind of acknowledge that hopefully we can all see the extreme value to discipline in your family no matter what form it takes. But it can be exhausting to keep up with all the discipline, can it? I mean, when we start to think about all of the times that our kids had to be taught something, 
and all the moments that seem like they're teachable moments and all the things that our kids need to learn is the right thing and, and they don't know that it's the right thing and they need to learn that that's the wrong thing and they need to stay away from that, you can get absolutely worn out trying to solve and correct and prevent every one of those moments. I mean, it's kind of like when your kids um, learn how to walk. You know, and they, they, they learn how to walk. For one thing, what are we thinking? We desperately want them to learn how to walk and that's so stupid of us. Because once they learn how to walk, they can go anywhere. Okay? When they were contained, you had to take them places. And so you always knew where they were. When they can walk, they can go anywhere. And they can pull cabinets open. And they can pull everything out of the cabinets. And suddenly, we don't want them to walk anymore. But you can't go back. So when they learn how to walk, they're very wobbly. And in fact, they're so wobbly, they're going to fall down on multiple occasions. And I don't know if this happens in your house, but... Man, in, in those years for us, it seemed like every time they got wobbly, they were next to the corner of a coffee table, okay? Or it was always right next to some sharp edge or some metal piece of something, and, and it just seemed like every time they were getting ready to go down, it was something that could have been catastrophic, and you fi find yourself kind of launching yourself across the room to try and catch them or try and keep them from something, and when you can't, it's amazing how by just fractions of an inch, they miss hurting themselves severely and they don't even know it and they get right back up and they're after it again. But if you're gonna save them from every one of those potential catastrophic things, it would mean that you would hover over them for every step of their life. Well, discipline is kind of similar. I mean, if you were gonna jump on every teachable moment and you were gonna try and solve every uh, possible thing that happens in their life where they could learn the right thing and learn what the wrong thing is and, and try and stay away from it and solve every problem. If you were gonna be that person, it would be exhausting to catch it all. So, maybe you have to pick and choose. And if you're going to pick and choose when it comes to discipline, let me, let me give you some categories that your picking and choosing should fall into. Just the three Ds, okay? What if your discipline was only about areas of disobedience, dishonesty, and disrespect. Okay, now I'm sure there are other moments that might pop up that it's like, hey, that's maybe something we should step into. But what if you just decided that you weren't gonna step into everything, but the discipline was going to happen if it impacted disobedience, dishonesty, and disrespect. And when it came to all the other stuff, you would just kind of let it slide. These three are important not only for your kids, and not only for their development, but these three are important for that relationship that you're building. Again, this is about a long-term relationship that you are building, get this, with your favorite people in the world. This is a relationship that you're building with people that you're, you're kind of banking on them being really close friends of yours down the road. And so the idea of valuing obedience and honesty and respect, that, that makes good sense because that's the kind of friends you want to have. You want people in your life that you can trust. And you want some friends later in life that you can have conversations with and know that you like the conversations that you're having with them. But these early years are where you start the discipline for the areas of disobedience, disrespect, and, and, and dishonesty. Because you're building a relationship with people that are going to be your favorite people for the rest of your life. 
Well, then there's the next stage that comes along, and we, we move from the discipline years to the training years. Okay, and the training years are roughly five years old to, to 12 years old. Now, these are not exact. Okay? It's not like when their birthday happens at five, suddenly they're into the training years, but it's, it's in this range somewhere. And this is no longer about nose and stop and hold up and don't do that. These are the years when you are explaining the why behind all the rules and expectations. And you're giving explanation to what you've been disciplining for this whole time. And really this is where the heavy lifting happens for that relationship that you are building long term. And this is not only you explaining to them the rules and the expectations, but it's also you modeling to them and with them why behavior matters. This is where behavior and and understanding morality is something that they gain and they put into their own minds so that as other situations arise that have nothing to do with something that they've done with you in the past, they can apply the things that they've learned about morality and kind of make decisions and choices on their own. I mean, this stage, these training years, is really the the details and the minutiae of uh, a verse of Proverbs about kids that you've probably heard before. Proverbs 22.6 says this, start children off on the way that they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Now, we use that verse a lot for spiritual things, but I think it applies to physical, emotional, and mental relationship with your kids as well. If you start them off in the way they should go, then then as they get older, they're not going to turn from that. If you've been around kids that are in this age range, like 5 to 12, then you know that they are not people uh, who are satisfied with just a statement of truth. Okay, so in other words, you can't just say to the kids who are five to 12 years old, this is what you should do, this is what you can't do, this is what I want you to do, these are the people I want you around, and this is where you're allowed to go. If you simply state those pieces of truth out there, they have a question. And that question is just one word. And you hear it over and over and over again. And the question is, why? Okay, why can't I do that? And why do I have to go there? And why can't I go there? And why does the friend down the street get to do this and I don't get to do this? I'm telling you, if your kids at five to 12 years old were lawyers, this is their greatest argument they would ever use is the kid down the street. The kid down the street gets to do this and I don't get to do this and I don't understand why. That's, that would just, that's what kids do. But they actually, believe it or not, as annoying as it sounds, They really want to know why. And they really need to know why because the why matters. And the why is important for that truth that you shared with them sticking around. Okay, if it's really going to stick and it's really going to be part of their life and it then can be applied to other parts of their life, they do actually need to understand why. They need to understand what's expected of them and why it's expected of them, which takes me to another part of this whole training era of life. Just just hear this. I'm just going to make this statement, and you apply it how it applies. But expecting our kids to have skills 
that we have not helped them acquire is exasperating to them. Okay, I'm gonna, I don't know if you've lived out this experience, but I'm gonna share an experience with you that I'm gonna put all of us in the booth next to this happening. So I'm not saying this happened to you. You were in the booth next door. Have you ever been to a restaurant where a family walks in and from the moment they sit down, their kids are immediately up and they are running around the restaurant and they are standing on the booth and they are shouting everything that they say and, and they're not happy with something that they're being told that they have to do or that they can't do or something that they want to get but they can't get or something that they have to get that they don't really want and they're constantly kind of just annoyed with one another and they're poking mom, 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 mom. You know these kids. You've been in that restaurant. And in that moment, you hate those parents, okay? I know we're not supposed to use hate, but you hate those parents. Can I tell you something? Those parents didn't think that's the kids they were taking to the restaurant. Because when they went to the restaurant, they really thought that their kids would roll into the kinds of kids that they expected them to be and that they had seen other parents have in public in a restaurant because they just assumed that everybody knows how you're supposed to act in public. Guess what? Not everybody knows. And you've been with them for all of the information input that they've gotten in their entire life. And if you didn't tell them that that's how they're supposed to act in public, then why are you expecting them to act that way in public? It just doesn't work that way. And so those wild banshees that never stopped yelling and that cried over everything and ate the entire meal with their mouths open. I don't even know how they chewed because it seemed like they were always wide open. And the ones who were poking mom, annoyingly saying, mom, 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 where you wanted to walk up and just smack mom so she would answer. Those parents were just as shocked that that's the way their kids acted as you were. But those kids didn't know what the expectations were. But there's a solution to that. Okay, whether that's already happened to you or whether you're hoping that never happens to you, there is a solution and the solution is real. And that is that you practice in private what you expect from them in public. Now maybe at the dinner table at your house, running around the room and shouting and poking mom is acceptable. And okay, if that's the way that you want your table to exist in private, that's all right. But at some point, you're gonna have to have a practice session about what that looks like in public. Because public is different than private. So you practice with them in, in private what you expect from them in public. Sandra uh, Stanley wrote these words uh, about their experiencing and raising their kids through this era. She said, we had the boys, and they had two boys, we had the boys practice holding doors and standing at the table all, well, until all the women were seated and offering their seats if there were not enough chairs for the ladies in the room. Okay, they would do that even at home with just their family. Why? Not because we're old-fashioned or think that women are weak, but because we wanted to train our boys early on the respect and honor that women are due. We also 
wanted to set the bar extremely high for how Allie, our daughter, would allow men to treat her. Practice in private what you expect from them in public. But the relationship continues on past the training years, and you move on to the coaching years, and this is about ages uh, 12 to 18, and there's a whole bunch of you right now, we're talking middle school and high school, who are in this right now. And we're starting to move closer and closer to the the goal of parenting. Okay, we're starting to get to the space where we are in this long-term relationship with our favorite people in the world, but we're not quite there yet. Okay, this is where things move in your relationship to where you are connecting with them more than you are correcting them. You're connecting with them more than you are correcting them. But I vividly remember in that sermon that I heard 30 years ago, that there was a warning that was shared right here in this transition stage. Because there are three stages, or there aren't three stages to parenting, there are four, okay? There aren't three, there are four. And spoiler alert, that final stage is called the friendship years. And there are so many people that when they get to the end of the training years, They want to skip over the coaching years and go straight to the friendship years because they're anxious to get there. They've been waiting for that time when they can just have this friendship with their kids and they want to desperately get there and they're so exhausted from the training years that they just want to be done with that part of parenting. But parents, the coaching stage is a pretty big deal. And you can't skip over it. These are the years when conversations real conversations about real things and real points of view and real opinions from your kids that you may or may not agree with can happen. It's also the stage where somewhere between 12 and 18, absolutely no conversation can happen. And if you're a parent who has a 12 to 18 year old in your house or you have lived through this already, you know that the chances of both of these things happening is pretty high. That you're gonna have a season where you have no conversation and then you're also gonna have seasons where you are in deep conversations. But in the same way that you can't jump forward to the friendship years, you also cannot back up to the discipline years or the training years while you're in the coaching years. Because again, we want actual conversations with our kids where they get to tell you what's on their mind as out of this world as it might be. And they're gonna tell you what they think and you want them to. And if that's gonna happen, then it's about building and cultivating an environment where they feel like it's okay and it's safe to talk to you. But here's what that's gonna take. If you're in this stage right now, or, that, or this stage is getting close for you, you have some homework to do, okay? I'm assigning you homework, and this homework is not gonna be done by next week. It, it may not be done next month. It's gonna take some time. Here's the homework. You need to become a student of your kids. You need to become a student of your kids. And when I say that, I, I don't 
just mean that you need to try and spy on your kids and figure out what they're up to and figure out what they're into and really get to know those things that you really don't like so that you can tell them why you don't like it very much and, and also get all up in their business. That's, that's not what this is about. This is about you actually getting interested in what interests them. Okay? Prior to this point, you probably were having them be interested in all the things that you were interested in. You played all of your music for them. You watched all of your TVs with them. You, 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 you did all the things to kind of feed them and help them understand what movies are good movies and what movies are bad movies and it has nothing to do except with the things that you like. Now we're changing stages. And so you're gonna find a way not only to know what they're interested in, but to actually be interested in what they're interested in. And that means that if there is a certain kind of music or certain bands or certain singers or certain artists that they're interested in, that you would not just listen to it, you would actually find a way to be interested in that. And it's not for you to pick through and decide, well, I don't like this one because it's got a bad word in it because I promise you whatever they're listening to has bad words in it, just fair warning. But you're gonna need to be interested in what they're interested in. And maybe it means figuring out how they study best and when they study best and what the environment is where they study best and what needs to be going on around them or not going on around them for them to study the best way. And if you will take the time to figure that out, then you dive into supporting and encouraging them to study in ways that allows them to hang on to stuff. And maybe it's a sport that they're interested in and they love and you don't. In fact, you don't know anything about it. When I was a kid, I... Um, became a tennis player, and so I, I love tennis, and I played tennis all the time, and watched tennis all the time, and my mom, by the time I started really loving tennis, had never even watched tennis before. She didn't understand why it scored the way it was, and didn't understand the rules, and, but doggone it, she figured it out. She started watching tennis on TV all the time, to the point that um, by the time I was out of college and on to adult life, I had given up tennis, and my mom would call me late at night. Hey, are you watching? No, I'm not watching. Stop annoying me with your tennis stuff. She got interested in what interested me. And maybe it's about trying to figure out how you and your kids can have conversations. And if you can have a conversation face-to-face -face with your kids over a coffee or over breakfast, then great. But if you can have conversation with your kids side-by-side, -side, not looking at each other and not making eye contact while you drive down the road or while you sit on a couch watching TV, perfect. You become a student of your child and figure out what the best approaches based on their unique personalities and their temperaments and their quirkiness. And one more little tip that goes along with this, um, they're all different. So once you figured it out for one of them, you get to start all over again with the next one because they're not the same. Well, one more little tip when it comes to this. Um, I've just given you homework to become a student of your kids, but please don't scare them. Okay, the coaching years 
are often like trying to pet a squirrel. Okay, I don't know why you would want to pet a squirrel, but let's just think that you were trying to pet a squirrel. If you were trying to pet a squirrel, um, loud noises and sudden movement are going to send them right up the tree, and you're never going to get to pet them. So as you stay in your conversation with your kids, don't freak out about what you hear, no matter what it is, no matter what direction it is. If they tell you about an accident that they were almost in while their friend was driving and how they narrowly escaped death, don't freak out about that. And when they tell you what they heard that their friends were doing this weekend at a party that they were going to go to or a sleepover they were going to go to but they didn't end up going to, don't freak out about that. When they tell you that they got an A on a test, you can be happy for them and you can celebrate with them a little bit, but don't freak out about it. Don't go way overboard about how awesome it is. You can't believe they got an A. Let's throw a party. Let's invite people over. You got an A on a test. Don't freak out. Because if you freak out, freak outs in any direction, set the bar and set the boundaries about what they won't talk to you about anymore. Because if you freak out about them getting the A, then when they get the C on the test next week, they're not going to tell you about it. And the next time that they have a traffic thing that goes wrong, they're not going to tell you about it. Don't scare the squirrel away. Last stage, friendship years. This is 18 and on. This is where you reap the rewards of everything else that's happened before that. And, and, and in the friendship years, you offer advice to your kids, but get this, you offer advice to them because they asked for your advice. They asked for your advice on a decision that they had to make or a choice they were having to, they actually wanted to know, they wanted you to chime in. It doesn't mean that they're gonna necessarily take your advice, but at least they're asking for it. And in the friendship years, you figure out moments when you can help and moments where you can become a resource for them whenever they need it. Because after all, the goal is being achieved here where they actually enjoy being around you, being around each other, even when they no longer have to. Super quick example here. Um, I think my dad always wanted me to be a preacher. Um, he knew my temperament and he knew how I was around people and for him it just kind of made sense and it seemed like a fit. I was not on the same page at all. I'd seen a little bit of ministry and I wanted nothing to do with it. I didn't want to be a part of it and I had other plans. I had other plans that were going to allow me to have far less stress and a lot more money. That was my theory. But my dad kind of kept after me because we were back in the coaching years. And so when I was in ninth grade, he took me to Cincinnati Bible College in the middle of winter. He wasn't always the smartest in the choices that he made, but he took me to Cincinnati Bible College in the middle of winter, and I got a private tour of the college, and I sat down with somebody who walked me through all the degree programs that were available and all the cool things that you got to do with each one of those degrees and how awesome it would be to be there. I listened to the whole thing, and I tried to smile and shake hands and do all the right things, but I had no interest at all. I had my own plan and my own dreams and my own goals. And then 
because of the influence of my youth minister during my high school years, things changed. And I suddenly got very interested in going into ministry and changing my whole course and changing my whole life around. And when I made that decision, the only thing I could think of is, well, I should go to Cincinnati Bible College because there was this really smart guy that showed me around there and I should go there. And so off I went. And I loved it at first. And there were some awesome things that happened my freshman year and then my sophomore year got a lot harder. And I got involved in helping out at a church and that got a lot harder. And there was a point in my sophomore year that I was just not sure this was for me and so I called my dad. And I let him know that I was struggling And even though that I was at the place that he had longed for me to be, and even though I was studying to do what he knew I could do, in that phone call, he said something to me that he actually repeated on a couple of different occasions further down the road. He simply said, I trust you. And if this feels wrong and you have something else that you're passionate about, just let me in on it. And I'm behind you 100%. You don't have to do this. Now, in retrospect, I gotta believe that was one of the hardest sentences he had ever said. But it was real. And it was just part of the conversation that had been going on for a long time. My dad understood something about our relationship and he understood something that happened to our relationship around that time in my life. That his responsibility in that stage as my dad was not to decide what I was supposed to do with my life. His responsibility in that stage was to put his whole weight behind whatever I decided I wanted to do with my life. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. We have the story of the prodigal son. Most of us know the story and know some of the details. It shows up in Luke chapter 15. And the story starts with this son who decides he wants his inheritance and he wants it now and he's gonna leave home early before his dad has died. And he's just going to go off and and live the life that he wants to live. But from what we can tell, he's already an older young man. And then all the way through the story to the point that he comes home and the father greets him in the yard and they throw the party, the entire parable happens in the friendship years. It's a rough story to read if you read it through the eyes of the father who's letting his son go and make his own decisions and make his own choices and watches and prays and hopes that his son will come home. And when his son does come home, he runs to the yard and he hugs him and he holds him up and he supports him and he doesn't lead with, I told you so, I knew you'd be back. He's continuing the conversation that they've been in for a really long time. One last thought that comes from 
a book simply called Parenting by Andy and Sandra Stanley. They write this. Adult children who are tired of being told what to do eventually stop calling and coming home. Teens who know they'll be punished stop telling their parents what's going on in their lives. So remember this. Your kids move on to the next stage, whether you do or not. Your kids are growing up and your kids are going to the next stage, whether you do or not. And the parenting changes along the way. But the parenting changes all towards that goal of having a long-term relationship where your kids want to and enjoy being around you even when they no longer have to. And I want to pray for our families. I want to pray for you as parents. I want to pray for our kids. That these are the kinds of homes, these are the kinds of families that we are raising up right here at First Christian. Let, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the way that you love us and the way that you model parenting for us. It's amazing to us to just watch how you uh, let us fumble and you catch us when we need to be caught and you let us go through our own experiences and, and learn from them along the way. And even in those moments when it seems like we have run so far away to the point that we think we can do everything on our own, you're the father that's waiting on the porch for us to come home. That's ready to run out and not say, I told you so. And not say, I knew you'd be back. But you're the father who's ready to wrap your arms around us and lift us up and hold us up. Offer grace and forgiveness, mercy. It's what you do for us through Jesus Christ and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.